It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli. I guess. Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere playing at luckylandslots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. This is Podcast on the Brink, your weekly dose of Indiana University basketball discussion hosted by Inside the Hall founder and editor, Alex Bozich. Since 2007, Inside the Hall has been trusted by IU fans across the globe to be the one-stop shop for IU basketball news, commentary, and analysis. Join us over at InsideTheHall.com. That's InsideTheHall.com. Welcome back, everybody, to a new episode of Podcast on the Brink, and pleased to be joined for the first time. I look back in the archives. He joined us back in May, but Dr. Galen Clavio, the director of the National Sports Journalism Center at IU, also, this is how I first knew of him, host, one of the two co-hosts of Crimson Cast, the longest-standing IU uh, podcast. Galen, welcome back to Podcast on the Brink. I wish it were better circumstances that I were welcoming you back to the show. I always appreciate the chance to come on, Alex. Thanks for having me. Uh, I feel it's funny because you mentioned you know, the Crimson Cast thing. You know, still have memories of of the mid two thousands and and uh, getting on inside the hall for the first few times. And it's amazing how much has changed and how much hasn't changed at the same time in the thirteen or fourteen years since these things got started. It's uh, it's I feel like we're back at the same spot again in a lot of ways. Yeah, and one of the reasons I wanted to have you on this week, and and I mentioned this to you before uh, we hit record here, but you know I feel like we're to a point now where we've seen um, a a pretty good sample size of of Archie Miller as the coach at Indiana, and right now, uh, objectively looking at this season, it was one where I said before the season that that kind of the baseline, I think, expectation was to get into the tournament comfortably and give themselves a chance to advance. And you look at where we are right now. Um, they're 12 and 11, uh, seven and nine in Big Ten play. And the remaining three games are, are Michigan at home, at Michigan State and Purdue on the road as well. A team that Archie Miller has not beaten at IU's, as IU's head coach. So from a big picture perspective, I'm just curious kind of – I guess I'll, I'll start by first asking, are you surprised that we're to this point right now uh, with this program, um, just kind of based on all the optimism uh, that there was when Archie Miller was hired? And, and I think a lot of us will go back and, and say that when he was hired, it looked like a pretty uh, solid hire based on who was out there, who was available, his, his credentials. But – now, as we kind of wind down year four and head to uh, the most crucial part of the season, it, it kind of feels like there's uh, a lot of cracks in the foundation and, and uh, those may never be patched up. Yeah, I'm, 
I'm very surprised that we're at the spot that we're at, not just in the macro of the four years, but even within the confines of this season. Uh, you know, I think that each of the first three years, I certainly found myself on on my podcast justifying or rationalizing why things hadn't gone better. And, you know, the first year it was, well, it's it's none of his players. And the second year it was, well, there were injuries and and, you know, still not the the commitment to defense, but that's certainly going to get better. And then last year, um, you know, it was many of those similar things. Again, I think there were fewer excuses last year, but the idea was, okay, fine. You know, even, even in the Crean era, the third year should have gone better than it did. It didn't, but everything meshed in the fourth year. So I'm sure that's what's going to happen here. And all the metrics look like they were pointed in the right direction. You know, you look at the you know Ken Palm, both offense and defense were gradually getting better, and it just feels like they hit a wall this year. And and I would say there, there's nothing about this season that you can really point to and say the team is significantly better than they were the last couple of years. Even if you want to look at some of the metrics and say, well, they're you know they're playing better on offense than we might have expected they're not winning the games and that's ultimately what it comes down to. And so, yes, I'm surprised. And and I think especially in relation to the other teams, the other programs that have hired coaches during this time period, it's not just that the Miller era has been a struggle at IU. It's that, you know, Brad Underwood's gotten Illinois going again, and they were arguably in worse shape than Indiana. You know, Chris Holtman's moved Ohio state up to a next level. Steve Peichel, has made Rutgers into a, a perennial tournament caliber team. And, you know, to look at all of those things and then look at what's happened with the Miller era, it's head scratching, it's disappointing. And it's almost to the point where it's hard to explain because it shouldn't have gone this way. Like I think I saw it might've been Jeff Borzello or somebody else uh, tweeted out the other day. It's like the, the Miller situation just proves we really don't know anything about head coach hires because on paper, and people tend to forget this, this was by far the most sought-after coaching candidate during that cycle. It was the guy that everybody pointed to and said, this is the next star. And for what I'm sure is a variety of reasons that we don't know about, it just hasn't happened. I think the the most surprising thing for me is, uh, talking about this season specifically, is the regression that we've seen defensively in Big Ten play. This team started out, you know they 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 were five and two in non-conference play. You know you kind of throw two of those out because they were you know worthless games against you know middling teams. But you know they're they're three and two against high major teams coming into conference play. They you know obviously have a tough loss at Florida State, a game that really could have gone either way, and then the the, the Texas game. Uh, but but the one thing you kind of looked at from those performances overall was that defensively Indiana seemed to be a pretty good team. I mean they, they were. Hitting all the, you know, you, you like to look at, do they hold a team under one point per possession? They were doing that often. Um, and as we've gotten into kind of the meat of the Big Ten schedule, kind of the, the inconsistencies. I mean, I know they've had the two games against Iowa where they've been really good, but overall defensively to be 11th in the conference, uh, when, when we were kind of sold, uh, when Archie Miller was hired, that he was going to kind of build this identity uh, based on defense and the pack line. And I think people were a little bit willing to forgive some of the early games under Miller where, you know, Indiana State and Fort Wayne came in and hit all these threes. But then the other night, what we saw against Rutgers was 
you know, a defense that's still incredibly susceptible from uh, to getting uh, destroyed really from the perimeter. Rutgers was coming into that game uh, very cold from the perimeter over a, a you know, pretty sustained period. And they come out against Indiana and late in the first half, they, they just bury the Hoosiers by hitting seven of eight threes to close the half. So defensively, to me, I think is the biggest uh, disappointment. You know, from watching these games, I mean, you've watched IU basketball longer than I have, and you've seen a ton of games going back to tonight and and all of the the uh, the coaches since. Defensively, I, I guess when you watch Indiana, do you see it more as a effort thing? Do you see it as a scheme thing, or is it a combination of both? I, you know, I f- kind of felt like with Michigan State and Rutgers was the first time I watched them in the second half and said, these guys might be checking out a little bit. Yeah. I mean, I think it's a combination of both scheme and effort. It's a complicated scheme. We talked about that the first year. You know, the defense wasn't very good in the first year. Um, But the explanation was, well, the pack line defense, you have to – it has to be instinctive that you know where you're supposed to be, you know where your teammates are supposed to be, and you're recovering to spots on the floor. And it was, I think – the biggest surprise to me this year was how difficult Indiana, uh, you know, started to find that process. But part of the issue is that uh, you know the from a scheme perspective, Indiana relies on older players knowing what they're supposed to do defensively. But those older players haven't been scoring, haven't been making things happen on offense, which means you have to play younger players who are then not capable of effectively playing in the defensive system. So it's this feedback loop that just ends up creating problems. But I think that the effort part has been the bigger issue because you'll see Indiana play really good defense in stretches, uh, you know, five, 10 minutes. It happened with Rutgers. I mean, they were all over Rutgers. They were very aggressive. They were getting into passing lanes. They were, they were bothering shots. And then things started to go bad on the offensive end and they lost concentration on the defensive end. And again, it's this feedback loop that just ends up circling the drain for you know however long they're in it. Earlier in the season, I felt like they were able to pull themselves out of that to some degree. Down the stretch here, particularly in these last couple of games, it hasn't happened. And so I think that you know, the everybody wants to point the finger in one direction and say, oh, it's all the players' fault or it's all the coaching staff's fault. It's a combination here. I think that Ultimately, if you're going to play this particular style of defense, you have to recruit really well, you have to get lucky with player development, and you have to be able to make sure that what you're doing on offense can support what you're trying to do on defense. And I just don't think that that's happened. But I also think the players haven't played up to par defensively. There have certainly been individual defensive performances that have been good. Uh, But I think as a whole, collectively, in in what is a very collective type of defense, this group of players just hasn't been able to match up. You know, you you mentioned, you know, the the group of players collectively. But to me, I kind of watch the season and I look at what Trace Jackson Davis and Race Thompson have done, even without Joey Brunk there as kind of a backstop to give them any break. uh, You know, those guys have played tremendous amount of minutes. They've been, for the most part, productive but I look at Indiana, you know, in the backcourt and on the wing, and the inconsistencies there really kind of stand out, particularly with the upperclassmen guards, Rob Fennessy and Al Durham. And, you know, I've been hesitant to to criticize 
individual players because obviously these are these are college kids. They're uh, they're not the ones being paid three point five or four million dollars a year. But ultimately, uh, I, I think in many ways, winning at this level in college basketball is a guards game, and it's hard to have consistent performances when one game Rob Finnessy's scoring 10 or 15 points and then the next game he's afraid to shoot and doesn't take a shot the whole game. Same thing with Al Durham. Uh, he comes out the other night against Rutgers and is hitting everything, but you look at his game log and it's 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 just kind of a mixed bag. I mean, h- how much do you think the guards specifically have been uh, a problem in, in terms of the inconsistent uh, results for Indiana? I think that uh, certainly that's the locus of the problem. And I think so much of the offense's inability to get going lies in the fact that there's just no consistency in the guard play. I think that the the players you're talking about, Al's kind of an interesting case because Al is playing very similar to how he played last year, if you look at the numbers. Right. I mean, his his uh, shooting from two is is worse by a significant margin, and I think that's an artifact of the offense not getting him good shots and forcing him to do a lot of, uh, a lot of shot fakes and drives and pull-up long-range uh, jumpers. But I think across the board, he's turning the ball over a lot less. He's just not a consistent performer. I mean, his last five games, he scored 24 points, 7 points, 16 points, 4 points, and then 20 points. You just don't know what Al Durham you're going to get on a nightly basis. And unfortunately, for a guy that's playing over 30 minutes a game and essentially has for the whole Big Ten season, you know, you have to have some level of contribution every single game if you're going to warrant those type of minutes. Rob Finnessy is, a, is a, I think, a, a much more problematic situation. He just doesn't look like himself. And I, I think there's, I was talking about this with, one of my friends the other day, he's uh, he's he's had a lot of potential throughout the course of his IU career, and he had the injury issues over the course of the first two seasons. But a lot of the projection of Rob Finnessy as you know a, a starting caliber point guard at IU in the Big Ten has been almost it's all been based on potential. We haven't really seen it except in a couple of small spurts over the course of his career, and I don't think that he's necessarily to blame for that. But what you're seeing now is a player that just seems to lack any level of confidence in what he's doing on the floor. And I I feel bad for him. I feel bad for the coaching staff because I'm sure they're seeing the same things and it's hard to pull a player out of that kind of a funk. Um, I've been trying to think if I can remember a player that uh, that's played as many minutes as Rob has in all the time I've watched IU that is just so obviously suffering from a crisis of confidence with seemingly no way of getting out of it. And I really have a hard time thinking of anybody that falls into that category. Um, I mean, it's it's really just, it's a shame because, you know, as, as promising as he was as a high school player, it just hasn't translated. And I almost feel like in the first couple of years that he was here, there were at least some other players that could help to compensate and take the load off. And that just hasn't happened this year. There's really nobody that can successfully push on the bench for those minutes Christian Landers still not there in ver- in areas of his game. And so Rob's out there on an island and you know he's continuing to get minutes because he has to because there's not really a good option from a defensive perspective to replace what he does there, but offensively he's essentially a non-contributor at this point and and that's a real disappointment and I do think that that ends up being part of the you know, the, the start of problems on every offensive possession is that 
the the, op, the opposing team at this point doesn't have to worry about him as an offensive option. And so that ends up creating problems for everybody else as well. Yeah, I mean, you, you raised an excellent point in terms of his, his offensive struggles. I do think defensively, in a lot of cases, he's been pretty solid still. Um, but when you have a player that's basically a shell of what he once was offensively, um, that, you know, the problem, you know, last year with Indiana's team was they were really easy to guard uh, in many ways because they played, you know, essentially three bigs and you you didn't have to guard certain guys outside of five feet. Uh, this year is a little different. Um, you know, their offense in, in Big Ten play has, has been respectable, I think good enough to win. But, um, you know, the inconsistencies, I think, really plagued them on a game-to-game basis. And, and I think you make a really good point um, that there's really no other option to replace him on this roster. Uh, when you look at what Lander's done, uh, there was high expectations on him coming in. Uh, I was pretty high on on his ability. I still think long-term he can be a really good player, but defensively, he's a guy that, you know, opposing defenses attack the minute they see him on the court. Like, you know, it's almost like they're it's drilled into their head. If he's out there, Whoever he's guarding, go at him immediately, and they usually score quickly. And offensively, you mentioned you know a guy not being able to to think of a guy whose confidence uh, has eroded, maybe like Finnessy's, but I don't recall a guy going one of seventeen on twos. That that's just that that statistic is just sticks out to me as as uh, amazing. What have you seen with Lander? I mean, at one point. I think there was a lot of people who who wanted to say, all right, let's just go ahead and go young and, and put Lander out there. I don't necessarily think that would have been a great idea because I don't think it would have solved the problem. But at, at this point in the season, it, it feels like something's got to change or, or be some kind of shakeup has to occur uh, for this team to maybe find its footing again, which I'm not predicting that's going to happen because I just don't see it. But uh, is, in, is in any way Lander a solution going forward uh, this season? This season, it's hard to make an argument for it. I mean, his right. offensive rating is 65.7, which is a subterranean offensive rating. I mean, you know, you on you the minimum expectation you have for a player that's getting major minutes is that they're scoring, they have an offensive rating of 100. You know, they're scoring essentially one point per possession used. And, and Lander right. is, I'd have to go back and hunt and find a player that got major minutes that had that bad of an offensive rating well, for IU. It's interesting you say that because Ryan was doing that yesterday, Caraza. And I don't think he found anybody lower, but kind of in the same range. A couple of the names he gave me were, I want to say Daniel Moore was one of them, Donald Perry, yeah. um, and, Ryan, and Ryan Tapak, who was a, was a walk-on. I mean, to give Evie as a comparison, a guy who played a lot more minutes and had um, a pretty bad offensive rating, Jeremiah Rivers, uh, who, as everybody remembers, was not really very useful as far as scoring. He had an 81.7 offensive rating. And so you're talking about a player who is uh, significantly worse than that in Lander in terms of being able to to score. Uh, Look, I'll say this. You have to give Lander minutes if he's going to be part of the future solution for IU. And this is the problem. This is kind of the paradox. I think that Archie Miller finds himself in right now is that you took a player in who was a highly regarded recruit, but was essentially a year behind schedule from a physical and mental development standpoint, because he skipped a senior year of high school. 
all of the struggles he's had so far this year, while unfortunate, were not unpredictable. And you now find yourself in a position where you, you can see flashes of the talent. You have to give him some opportunities, but you are really putting your team at a disadvantage by doing so simply because while he does have occasional moments where he's able to contribute, it's it's going to have to be in smaller spurts because the the longer you play him from a minutes perspective, the likelier chance that you're going to lose points on both offense and defense from his inability to score or his inability to defend. And I'm with you in that you know people say, well, just play the young guys and you know, let's just get ready for next season. That's easy to say until you start losing game after game. And then it's like, well, wait, what are we doing? We we still have a chance to get into the NCAA tournament. So it's it's really an unwinnable scenario if you're Archie Miller in that particular situation. And I think it's especially bad when you look at what's happened with the backcourt as a whole. Like I think I in an ideal setting, Rob Finnessy's playing somewhat to the level that we hope that we would see him play. Armand Franklin's not battling leg injury and and having to miss halves or miss games and you're able to slide lander into more comfortable situations where he's just coming in playing five minutes leaving learning from that and then moving on and unfortunately you've had to press him into a lot deeper action and it just hasn't gone particularly well you mentioned you know the the prospect of making the ncaa tournament and as, as kind of a, re, a reason not to go young at this point Looking ahead at, at what's left on the schedule, we obviously we have no idea what's going to happen. But I feel like, and I mentioned this to you before, this this season and this program right now is a whole lot less about individual games, and it's a whole lot more about the big picture and kind of what's going to happen these next couple weeks. Because people have have seen enough now that they they the next thing they want to see is making the tournament and advancing. Otherwise, if, if that doesn't happen, there's going to be a large segment of people who are tuning out, no longer care or are pissed. I mean, uh, pick your pick of, yeah. of those three things, but that's, that's a lot of people who are diehards that cover the pro that follow the program. That's how they're going to feel. So with what's left on the schedule in the big 10 tournament, realistically, what do you think Indiana has to do to get back into the tournament? You know, they're still showing up in mock brackets right now, but that's before what happens on Saturday and what happens next week. And and I'm looking at this objectively, but they haven't beaten Purdue under Archie Miller. That's the final game of the season in West Lafayette. I'm not saying it's unwinnable, but it's unlikely. Tomorrow is Michigan, who is basically running through everybody like a buzzsaw. They're 17 and one. They just crushed Iowa at home. They won at Ohio state. It's hard to see that game. And Michigan state is now all of a sudden they got their get right game in Bloomington. Right. And now they've beaten Illinois and Ohio state and they're back on the bubble. And they're, they look like one of those teams that they could take Indiana's spot that, that potentially uh, the Hoosiers were going to have. So what do you see as Indiana needing to do here? Do they need to win two of these three games? Do they need to go win three in the Big Ten tournament? What what has to happen here for them to get in the tournament? Hey, it's Jared. I'm going to jump in here real quick to talk about Homefield Apparel, our friends at homefieldapparel.com. And there are several reasons why you need to go to homefieldapparel.com to upgrade your Indiana University sports wardrobe. Number one, all of their materials are so comfortable. I have the hoodies. I have a crew neck sweatshirt. I just received my LEO t-shirt that they have, and all of the materials are so soft. It feels so good against your body. 
And what's nice is that they still feel soft even after you wash them. Because a lot of materials, you get them, you wash them, they don't feel as nice. Homefield Apparel stuff really does. So you can count on that. Plus, they have logos there that you're not going to find anywhere else. That's kind of their thing. You know, they have over 90 different schools that they work with now. They go and find these old brand marks and logos and mascots that, you know, haven't been used in 40, 50 years, sometimes longer. And they bring them back. And so it's this great way to indulge your love of nostalgia, find these old logos that you haven't seen. And so when you go there, you'll be able to browse. I mean, for Indiana stuff, they have, you know, two pages worth of gear that you can see stuff on t-shirts, stuff on crew neck, stuff on sweaters, such comfortable stuff. And it's not just IU, you know, you may have people in your life that went to school somewhere else. Sorry for those folks, but you know, they may have, and you can find so much gear for other schools as well. And even better, you can save when you go there because our promo code Brink, B-R-I-N-K, will help you save 20% on your entire order. So go to homefieldapparel.com, use that promo code Brink, B-R-I-N-K, and get 20% off your entire order. All right, back to the show. I don't believe that there's ever been an at-large team in the tournament that was only one game above 500 on Selection Sunday. And that, to me, is the biggest issue for Indiana right now. Right now, they're 12 and 11. They've got these three games left. Under normal circumstances, I don't think they'd need to win all three. Uh, I think um, they might even have gotten away with just winning one. Two uh, two things have conspired against them. If they, I think if they'd beaten Minnesota and Michigan State at home, at that point they would have been 13-9. and nine, And I don't know that they would have needed to win another game the way the schedule looked at that point because even if they'd lost all of them, they would have had a chance, I think, going into the tournament or going into the Big Ten tournament at 13-12. But then that Michigan State game got added to the schedule, which means now if they lose the remainder of the games, they're going to be – 12 and 14. 12 and 14. If they win one of the last two, they're only 13 and 13, which means they have to win at least one more game in the Big Ten tournament. And if they won one and then lost one, they'd be 500. They wouldn't be a game over 500. So it's actually that Michigan State ad, I think, really messed up Indiana's tournament chances because when you couple that with the two losses that they suffered over the course of the last week, it left them in a position where they're going to be behind the eight ball unless they win these last three, uh, which again, as we've talked about, seems very unlikely. And so even if they did the unexpected and they beat two of the three, if they beat Michigan at home and then one at Purdue, you know, if they lost that, that Michigan state game, they would still be in a pretty rough spot. Um, you know, because at 14 and 12, if they, go into the Big Ten tournament and lose their first round game. They're right back where they were, even if, you know, you know, with without that set of outcomes. And so I think at this point, that's the that's the only scenario where I think they have a reasonable chance. They have to win two of the last three regular season games and they have to hope that their strength of schedule, the sweep of Iowa, and the fact that they will have beaten either Purdue on the road or Michigan at home is enough to impress the committee. Because the other thing, the other confounding factor that we need to keep in mind is, you know, what happens if there are tournament upsets in the smaller conferences and you get an at-large team uh, that's in, you know, like, okay, if, if um, Missouri Valley Conference gets an extra team in the tournament or if, uh, you know, like if Gonzaga doesn't play in the West Coast Conference tournament and the West Coast Conference gets two instead of one, that's where those bids start to get taken away. And that's squarely where Indiana's at right now. So they have no margin for error as it is. 
And it's going to get even worse if you start seeing upsets in tournaments. So now that I've given the audience the glass half full scenario as to where Indiana could potentially get if they take care of business, it's not out of the realm of possibilities. I think we'd be remiss to not talk about what happens if they don't make the tournament. And I think that's what's on a lot of people's mind. Uh, I'm not sure if you saw it. My dad wrote a column yesterday uh, on WDRB. Uh, Greg Doyle's written a lot. Uh, I think, you know, Zach Ostrom the other night kind of wrote like a big picture type thing. And, and I've always kind of subscribed to the idea of let's let the whole season, you know, I've got a thousand over a thousand people on the message board. There's all kinds of ideas coming in at me all the time. I'm getting emails and getting tweets. And I've, I've always kind of subscribed to this idea of let's let the season play out and the results will happen, uh, whatever they are. And then we can evaluate it. I'm finding it harder to instill that patience onto everybody because people can kind of see what's developing now. And so I, I'm just kind of curious what you think, the plan is, I guess, from an IU perspective going forward, if this doesn't work out in a tournament appearance this year, because to me, it, it seems um, that there's a lot of factors at play here. Obviously, there's a lot of money on the line in terms of what they owe to Archie Miller. There's a COVID-19 pandemic and the fact that they haven't had fans in the building all year and the uncertainty regarding budgets and everything. But then there's also the the cloud hanging over um how long can you keep this going and keep the fan base engaged and excited about the product of value basketball? And I feel like Scott Dolson, my interactions with him, he's always been a great guy. I think he's always going to put IU first. You know, if, if there's not a more IU first guy than him uh, that I know of, you know, he's, he's always going to make decisions that are in the best interest, but the spot that he's in right now is not, is not one that I'm I'm very envious of because I I just don't necessarily know that there's going to be a, a right decision uh, at the end of this if things don't work out uh, with this season because, um, you know there's there's a lot there's a lot to unpack here and and I don't know kind of what the plan is moving forward and it's an impossible question I'm sure for you to answer but I'm just kind of curious for your thoughts on 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 where this could be headed. I think you could make compelling arguments either direction. Uh, you know, and I've 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 had many of these same conversations as as you have with people who have wanted to talk to me about it. Um, you know, the the argument for staying the course for another year is essentially partially financial, in that there is a significant buyout on Archie Miller's contract. Um, you know, it's a COVID year, and there are certainly financial pressures beyond just the normal. You know, my God, we have to pay. $10 million to, to fire a coach that's under contract. It's also, well, Hey, we've got staff on furlough and we've had to, we had no revenue coming in from tickets and things like that. I mean, those, those do matter now you know, there's also to some degree, kind of a competitive argument in that the, you know, is it going to materially be better or worse to try to make a change this year versus next year? Does it really matter in the big scheme of things? If you're, you know, it, do you want to try to give it one more run around and, and see if if maybe things get better? Maybe there's a there have been certainly injuries this year that have contributed to some of the issues. And I think Archie Miller is, is well respected within the athletic department. I think he's well respected among boosters. It's not like the end of the Samson or Crean eras, where I think with Samson there was a real groundswell to 
to get him out of there because people felt like the culture around Indiana basketball was changing for the worse. And I think under Crean, Crean had just alienated a lot of people over the course of the time uh, as head coach. And so I think by the time it, it finally came around to make a change, it was an easy sell. I don't know if it's quite as easy of a sell here. And the flip side of all of that, though, is a couple of different things. One, you've got a basketball program that is not just stuck in neutral, but it's stuck in, you know, it's, it's, we used to kind of joke about people would talk about the end of the night era as being mediocrity. I think people would kill for that kind of mediocrity right now in terms of, you know, being in the top 20 every year and, and, you know, being in the NCAA tournament as a single digit C, just being in the tournament period would be, uh, a blessing, but it's been five years now spanning two coaches since IU was in the tournament. And that's just, I want to say as a longtime IU fan, as a season ticket holder of, of, of football and basketball, that's not acceptable, but that's essentially where Indiana is at this point. This is arguably, it's, it's certainly the lowest ebb for the program since the late sixties, you know, right before Bob Knight got hired. And I think you can make an argument there, you know, it's it's as low of an ebb as you've ever really seen with IU basketball since it became serious about fielding winning basketball programs. And, you know, there's a there's a calculus there where you look at what happened at the beginning of the Korean era and you had those really overmatched teams that didn't win very many games in the first three years, people still came back. And so, you know, to, to some degree, I think there might be a, a situation where people say, you know, we're we're certainly not happy about where things are, but we're not worried about permanently losing IU basketball fans because we know when the team is good that they'll come back again. But I think that's dangerous because you're losing a lot of people, not just not just donors, not but you know, young alumni, people in high school, uh, people younger than that, for whom IU basketball is just not that special. It's just kind of something that's there. There's people that are far more excited about IU football right now than IU basketball, which I, as I've been an IU football fan for decades, I never thought I'd see that happen. And so there is an apathy argument that, that that is actually more problematic than any losses or any financial issues that might arise from doing something. If people are just completely checked out on the era and are, are actively getting depressed, not even actively getting depressed, but like don't even care enough to turn on the games. Don't even don't aren't even checking in. I mean, that's been the thing that's been surprising to me. I've had a lot of people who have been longtime IU fans that I've talked to for for years who have been like, oh yeah, I forgot that we played last night. Or I turned the game off, you know, with 15 minutes left because it was obvious what was going to happen. That's a terrible spot for any program to be in, let alone Indiana. And, you know, that that's, I guess, the thing I keep coming back to is Indiana has had a tendency historically, and this stretches through multiple athletic departments, multiple university presidents, of waiting a couple of years too long to make changes when it was obvious that they needed to make a change. And I think that what has unfortunately separated IU from some of the, the blue bloods, as we would call them, is that they've been willing to kind of let things sit around for a while, whereas their competitors have tended to act very quickly. Uh, North Carolina, under the Matt Doherty era, they didn't let that fester for particularly long. Kentucky, under Billy Gillespie, they didn't let that go for very long. 
Um, it's not to say that it's always a good idea to do that. UCLA has famously become, you know, a, a, a revolving door of coaches and they've never really quite gotten it going. I do think it's something to think about with IU though. It's like you, you'll probably be fine long-term as a program, regardless of what happens. But as we go into this off season, there have to be some considerations as far as, you know, do you have to make a change if you want to try to get back to a particular level um, as you said, it's not an easy set of decisions. I don't think it's black and white one way or the other. And I don't envy Scott Dolson for what he's looking at as we move forward here. It is Ryan here and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. Last thing I want to talk to you about, Galen, with. You know, the last conversation we had was back in May, and and I asked you about the the campus at IU and and everything that had been done from COVID nineteen perspective and looking ahead to the fall and and I look at everything that has gone on. Uh, I, I followed a lot of it pretty closely, and it seems like for the most part, um, Indiana has done a really good job in terms of bringing students back to campus safely. Uh, you know, having a you know, a mix of, you know, I know, I understand that a lot of classes are, are still mostly online at this time, but um, there, there's been some in-person instruction, but just kind of looking at the numbers and all, all of the, the things that Indiana did, it, you know, it, overwhelmingly, I think people have looked at it as a positive. And I was, you know, I guess, happy to see the announcement recently that this fall, uh, you know, IU is going to be returning to in-person instruction uh, just kind of, you know, as someone as a faculty member, and and you're obviously interacting with with students uh, a lot, and and different uh, people at the university. I guess, what do you think has ultimately been the reason that Indiana has been uh, as successful as it has, kind of in in handling uh, this? And and you know, are you are you a hundred percent on board with with the uh, the return this fall to uh, to in person instruction? That's a good set of questions, Alex. I, I'm I've been very pleased overall with how IU handled this pretty much from the beginning. Uh, and certainly, there have been individual things that you could criticize, but I IU had a plan, and they they put the plan together last summer. They executed it very well. Uh, I think their testing has gone very well. The way that they've handled individual flare ups of things uh, has has worked out, and they've created an environment that has been. I think cautious, but effectively safe over the course of time. And, you know, it's not been perfect by any means, but I look at what's happened at some other uh, colleges and universities, and I look at what's happened at IU, and I'm, I'm proud to be a part of what's happened at IU. Uh, I'm very excited about coming back in person next year, and I think it's great that that got announced because I think there needed to be some direction given uh, you know, like essentially, here's the destination. This is where we're planning on being. Um, you know, I think that's helpful for students. I think students were planning on coming back anyway. Uh, I've talked to some folks in the rental markets here at IU, and they say that they're they've actually rented everything out significantly earlier than they rent it out in a normal year for next year. Uh, so it tells me that people are excited to come back to campus. I think the campus has demonstrated that they know how to run 
uh, safe environments for classes. And like you said, we've had some in-person classes. Most of them have been online, and that's been as much for faculty safety and faculty preference as it has been for students. But we've all kind of figured out how to make it work, and that's been really exciting. And we're starting to see sports come back now. You know, men's soccer and women's soccer just got started, and we've got baseball and softball getting ready to get going. Uh, I'm keeping my fingers crossed for a little five that we might have that in some format later this spring. So, look, I think I think Aaron Carroll and the medical crew deserve a lot of credit. I think Michael McRobbie and Lauren Rubel deserve a lot of credit for, you know, sticking with a plan and 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 doing something that you know essentially kind of allowed IU to shift right in the middle of the summer and still come up with a an academic year that worked more often than it didn't. So, I'm excited about next year. I hope that uh, hope nothing untoward happens outside of our control that uh, you know that changes things. But I think I think we'll be in good shape and back on campus in fall. Well, Galen, thanks for the uh, the time this afternoon. As I said, I wish it was under. Uh, I, I wish we were breaking down, you know, potential destinations for the NCAA tournament. You know, the eight different pods that there were going to be, and and everything's going to be in Indiana, which I think is going to be great for the state. I think it's going to be a fun tournament to watch. But from an IU perspective, uh, to have the tournament in your backyard and, and to possibly not be a part of it, I think that's going to be another thing that's going to be a, a, a tough thing for a lot of people to to follow. But um, you know, like I said, I, I respect your work tremendously. Crimson Cast has been something that I, I've listened to for a long time. Really enjoy it. Listen to the the episode yesterday with Scott and Tony. I, I encourage people to go check that one out. I know you were, were not a part of that, but fun conversation. And, and Galen, it's always good to to see your face, even if it's uh, virtually. Hopefully, maybe we'll uh, we'll get to do the Hoosier Hysteria Tailgate podcast next fall. Well, that that would be awesome, right? I am absolutely looking forward to that. I've already been plotting out when that would happen. It might happen during a football weekend because I think there's two home football games during that week. Um, yeah, it's I'm I'm already excited about that and having fans back on campus and so forth. And and again, Alex, I appreciate you having me on, and you know, obviously, you know, big big fan and supporter of Inside the Hall, and uh, have enjoyed your work for a long time as well. So so thank you again, and I'm looking forward to the next time we chat. Hopefully, again under under more optimistic circumstances. Well, thanks everybody for listening uh, to podcast on the brink as always subscribe uh, to the show, wherever you get your podcast, Apple podcast, Spotify, uh, we're all in all those places. Leave us a review if you like the show and we'll be back uh, once again next week, maybe after a win at Michigan state. We'll see who knows, who knows what can happen in this, uh, this IU season. It's been an up and down roller coaster, but we'll be here uh, with you the rest of the way. Thanks everybody for listening. And uh, we'll talk to you again next week.